Welcome to Spirit Seekers. Today is August 7th, 2020, and uh, my name is Lucy Samara. I serve First Congregational Church of Burlington as the Communications Coordinator, and I am so very pleased to have Donna Lee be our guest uh, on Spirit Seekers today. Uh, I've had the pleasure of calling Donna a friend for a uh, close to 30 years. Really pretty, wow. pretty, pretty amazing. Wow. <laughs> and, uh, I. There are lots of ways to introduce Don to you, but let me just put them off for just a minute in case this is the first time you visited Spirit Seekers so that you know that this format is, um, it's, it's fairly casual and it's designed to empower people to share some of their life story and faith journey and to have some discussion. The purpose overall being to build community and understanding and to encourage each of us in our own uh, faith journey, faith formation. So uh, now I was thinking about Donna and what I could say about Donna, and um, I was also looking for a prayer, and I did not find a prayer about Martha and Mary, but that's the first thing that came to mind. Because <laughs> um, I've been in at many retreats where women talk about Martha and Mary and the two different roles and where we should be, and Donna is so both. <laughs> you are so both. You are su such a you know, engaged, do it, uh, you know, uh, get things organized and going well. And you're a wonderful host. You're so generous with how you've shared your life with other people and your space and, you know, just in so many ways. And you're, you're also a deeply spiritual, theologically curious person. Um, so I, I, that's, so that's, that's what I have to say. About Interesting. That. You would say that because when when I've been in those kinds of retreats and people ask you to identify yourself as a Martha or a Mary, I've never been able to choose. <laughs> yeah. No, you're definitely both. You're definitely yeah. both. You are. And you know, I think probably most people are somewhere on the range. So I'm going to just start with the beginning verse from uh, a uh, Mary Oliver poem that kind of put us in a in a state of thinking about this. And um, now many of you may know Donna from church settings. I also know that she is an absolute lover of flowers and plants and nature. Uh, so this is from the poem Messenger by Mary Oliver. My work is loving the world. Here the sunflowers, there the hummingbird, equal seekers of sweetness. Here the quickening yeast, there the blue plums. Here the clam deep in the speckled sand. Are my boots old? Is my coat torn? Am I no longer young and still not half perfect? Let me keep my mind on what matters, which is my work, which is mostly standing still and learning to be astonished. The Phoebe, the Delphinium, the sheep in the pasture and the pasture, which is mostly rejoicing since all the ingredients are here, which is gratitude to be given a mind and a heart and these body clothes, a mouth with which to give shouts of joy to the moth and the wren, to the sleepy dug up clam, telling them all over and over how it is that we live forever. So Donna, uh, expert in uh, preschool education, uh, working with families and children over the years, uh, a woman who we, met as Bob Lee's wife moving to Vermont in 1992. Um, and many of us have come to call friend. Thank you for joining us uh, today and, and for sharing your story. I'm happy uh, to be here. Good, good. So that poem was lovely. Oh, thank you. I love Mary Oliver. Um, so the, one of the ways we really like to start is to ask people about their early faith journey and how they um, came to, um, you know, how, came to early belief to talk to us about, you know, when you were first considered yourself to be a child or a person, you know, a young person of faith and um, who were the influences in your life? Well, I was raised in a very conservative, uh, fundamentalist, evangelical tradition. And so that was my early experience uh, with faith. 
and um, some of those ministers were uh, fire and brimstone kind of scary people. And some of them actually were gentle and, and loving kind of father figures. Um, so I, I got a smattering of both. Um, uh, I carried that tradition. Uh, I don't know how much you want me to talk or how many questions you have in the meantime. <laughs> no, no, no. Yes, but I carried that tradition uh, with me um, straight through high school. Um, and into college, um, where I went to a very conservative Wesleyan Methodist college. Mm -hmm. um, and, and my faith was very real and very deep. Um, I even went forward in a Billy Graham crusade at one point, and that was a very genuine experience for me. Um, but it wasn't until I was in college where I took a, uh, a course called The Life of Christ where the professor who was a very, very humble and devoted Christian um, gave us a textbook that had the gospels that were lined up in columns, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and we would compare how the different authors um, approached the stories. And, uh, and in that course, I recognized and realized, and he allowed that, which is hard to believe in that kind of college setting, for us to see that um, there were actually contradictions in the scriptures. And I went, oh, really? Because, <laughs> you know, we were led to believe there would be no such thing. And um, it was in that coursework that I fell in love with Jesus. I, I came to see who Jesus really was. And that just didn't gel with the kind of God that I had been raised to hear about in the church that I grew up in. And when I graduated, I uh, moved to Long Island and got the dream job of my life of working with these young children and families in poverty and many having suffered abuse and neglect and disabilities um, and started working with a, a very progressive and liberal staff who mentored me. I came to see the world in a very different way. And uh, I was attending a church at that point that was, uh, we, we thought at the time, my first husband and I, we thought it was very progressive. Um, all professionals and educated people, a different really from the kind of church that we grew up in. But um, we just never heard any sermons that talked about any kind of social justice or reaching out to the poor or um, that had anything to do with, and I mean, this was the sixties and early seventies, you know, Johnson era and all that stuff when the war on poverty. And we never heard anything about any of that. And, and after a while, I just kind of came out on Sunday mornings feeling angry. Why are we hearing about any of that? Why aren't we hearing about how the gospel relates to what's going on in the world with people and the kind of people that I'm working with and trying to help uplift? And, um, and so we, we left that church and we went on what we called a kind of sabbatical from church. Mm -hmm. And during that time, I did a lot of searching, but um, I never really lost the roots of my faith. Mm -hmm. Um many people when they leave the fundamentalist tradition do what we call throw the baby out with the bathwater. And, and I never did that. I, my faith was still very, very real and deeply rooted inside of me. And I just left that tradition. Mm -hmm. And eventually we bought a house together and we moved um, two towns over. And the United Church of Christ knew that there was this new development going up and they sent out people to um, talk to them about their church and inviting us to come and join. I mean, this is not something the UCC usually does, you know, uh, canvas neighborhoods, but they did. And we thought, well, you know, maybe it's time for us to try a community church. Um, it had been, I don't know how long it had been since we'd gone to church, I, maybe a year. I don't really know, don't remember. But anyway, we went. And the first Sunday that we were there, somebody from the mission committee got up and talked about the Vietnamese refugee family that the church had adopted. 
and they were calling for people to donate um, food and clothing and, and uh, furnishings, um, TVs so that they could learn English and whatnot. A real mission outreach. Uh, and the family was in church that day. And I thought, wow, this is something like I've never heard of before. Mm -hmm. actually bringing a family into the church and lifting them up and supporting them and loving them and giving them what they need to start their life over. Mm -hmm. I think I like this. So we kept going. And what astounded me was every Sunday when I heard a sermon, it was like so different from what I was raised with. And I'll give you an example, the Doubting Thomas. The Doubting Thomas in the church I was raised in was a really bad guy because you're not supposed to doubt. You're not supposed to ask questions. And the sermon in this church was what great courage Thomas had to doubt and to ask questions and that we should be asking questions and that, and that doubt is something that God will honor as long as we keep searching. And I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> I never heard anything like this before. So we kept going. And I, I like to say I was born again into the UCC. <laughs> That's kind of my shtick now. Yeah. And so, you know, I mean, the rest is history. How I love you that story, Donna. And I, I can really relate to it when, when Michael and I were searching for a church in the Burlington area. Uh, we just happened to come to First Congregational Church when uh, when the minister was preaching about doubt. And I thought, okay, I think I can stay. I think yeah. it'll be all yeah. right. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think I think it'll be all right. Um, you know, to keep to keep learning and to keep stepping forward in faith when um, a variety of perspectives are are embraced. Um, that connection between your faith life and your professional life, can you can you talk about that and, and maybe, you know, share also, you didn't, you grew up in a family that made you aware of what poverty was about. I mean, you knew the impact on kids. So yeah. if you could just kind of connect your personal with that professional and, and faith experience. Well, Bob used to say the way you, and he used to say this even to his boys, um, the way you pick a profession is you follow your bliss or you follow your pain. I followed my pain. Mm -hmm. um, I grew up in poverty. I grew up in a home where there really was abuse. There was domestic abuse. And um, I loved children. And I always knew that I wanted to work with them. I knew that from a very young age. Um, I was the youngest of seven children. And people would always say, oh, you were the baby in the family. You must have been so spoiled. Well, actually, I wasn't because by the time I I was ready to like maybe be six years old. My oldest brothers and sisters had children and my oldest sister lived in the home and, and she had a child and I ended up being the one taking care of that child. So I never really experienced being the baby in the family. There were always other babies around that I was caring for. And she was working and my mother was working and my aunt was working. And so there were, there were always younger children around that I was responsible for. And, um, and I loved that. Mm -hmm. um, I, just, I just dearly loved mothering and nurturing children. So um, it was a natural for me. When I went to college, I studied psychology and sociology because I had it in my head that I was going to work in an orphanage. Mm -hmm. That's what I thought I was going to do. Well, by the time I got ready to pick a career, there really wasn't such a thing as an orphanage. Mm -hmm. But I fell into this job, which I felt was really an answer to prayer that I was called to that became my ministry, um, where I was able to work with children that were just like me when I was a little girl mm -hmm. and families that were a lot like me when I was a little girl. And I was able to nurture really both the children and and the families, primarily mothers um, who were in poverty or who were abused or um, didn't have opportunity. And, um, and that so gelled with, with my faith position. Um, you said, how did that gel? I mean, I, 
um, many times crossed the line <laughs> by using the minister's discretionary funds mm -hmm. um, to get money. And the minister was all in favor of it for children who didn't have medicine or didn't have eyeglasses um, or, or for whatever reason, um, there was something that was not enabling them to be able to come to school or to to um, to flourish in school. And the minister would say, hey, don't let that stop them. Just go to the mission committee and get money or come to me for discretionary funds. And I would work through the school nurse and, and be a liaison for them to get what they needed. And so it it just it it meshed with my outreach for church. Uh, in terms of making those things happen for for children at school, it was wonderful the way it worked. One of the um, unique things about the work that you did with preschoolers at risk and their families um, over decades of your professional career was home visiting. Yes, um, which is was really a unique thing that you and you were able to do that in Vermont also after your after you and yes. Bob were here. Um, can you just talk about that a little bit? What what that was like? You know, maybe an example or two of, yeah. you know. Well, for one thing, it was an it was an absolute privilege to have families allow me and welcome me into their home. Mm -hmm. uh, in some respects, it was daunting uh, because when I got to Vermont, you know, you have this idyllic picture of the white farmhouse, you know, in Vermont, but most of us don't really know what's behind that door. Mm -hmm. And what I found behind the door of that white farmhouse wasn't at all what I expected to find. Mm -hmm. Some of the most abject poverty and abusive situations are behind that door. Or it's the, it's the trailer behind the farmhouse where the poverty lives. Mm -hmm. uh, my eyes were really opened wide. Um, there were occasions where it was scary, um, where I went into homes where there was an extremely abusive father and I had to really earn trust there. Mm -hmm. um, but there really weren't that many times when I was absolutely afraid. Um, I, I just was blessed with courage mm -hmm. um, and, and the ability to stand up to folks like that. Um, because I would say to the father, you know, we have something in common here. We both love your child. Mm. And let's start from there. Mm -hmm. And I saw big burly guys melt like a puddle. Mm -hmm. When I said, you know, they would stand at the door and make themselves really big. Like, who are you lady, whatever. And I'd say, why don't you come in and finger paint with us? I think a little Susie would love that. <laughs> you know, <laughs> And they would just melt like a puddle. Mm -hmm. um, it was it was such a privilege, really, to challenge people in situations like that and watch the mother um, then see that that was possible and that that kind of gentle side of her husband was possible. Mm -hmm. Like I said, it was really, it was a privilege. Mm -hmm. um, and once you're in somebody's home, it's so much easier to have patience for the child who is not that likable, maybe, or who is difficult. Once you see what they're dealing with, mm -hmm. it's so much easier to love and understand the child. Um, that's one of the things that I learned. You know, there's a real taboo for children who are growing up in difficult situations to talk about it. And, or maybe they can't even articulate it because mm -hmm. it's all they know. Yeah. And um, that, that point of entering somebody's home, establishing that trust, um, it just makes me feel good for those kids that they had that opportunity to have you be a gentle advocate and to speak the truth. And, in that kind of situation, which I know that you did. So I've seen you in action. <laughs> the courage of your voice is a really important thing, Donna. And like I said at the beginning with the Martha and Mary, you are definitely both. Um, people often debate, well, is the purpose of the mission of the church charity or is it social justice advocacy? And I see those both in you. 
and I think your work with children is an example of that. Um, you um, you did some volunteering in Burlington um, mm -hmm. after you retired. That was. Great. You want to talk about that a little bit? Share that with us. That was wonderful, and I you know credit you, Lucy, for putting me in touch with the right people in the right place. Um, a lot of that work was with the refugee uh, population, and um, <laughs> it was just wonderful to have uh, the experience of being with those children. I didn't have as much opportunity to be with the families, although I did meet some of the mothers and fathers when they dropped kids off, but it was mostly with the children. Um, coming in and not knowing a word of English, not, not a word, at the beginning of the year and within three to four months time just chattering away in English and just to be there to help them learn how to use a zipper because most of them had never seen a zipper, you know, or to learn how to use a faucet or flush the toilet. Mm -hmm. Simple basic things like that. And the joy and the wonder on their faces. Um, it never, never grows old. Um, and one of the stories I love with the, the last year I was there, I had to stop going because my back just couldn't do it anymore. And I had surgery on my hand for arthritis and that took me out of there. But um, this little girl with her hijab on her head was just staring in my face and studying me. And she said, Miss Donna, are you almost old? <laughs> I said, well, almost. She said, yes, but you don't have white hair. I said, yes, and I never will, honey. I never will. <laughs> I just love that story. <laughs> but there's so many of them. I mean, people say I should have written a book, and I know I should have. Uh, just so many wonderful stories. that Children are just so entertaining and and so wise. They're so wise. I I. I just um, so privileged to have spent my life with them. We had, um, Don and I had a lot of overlap at a certain point being out in the community. I was working with new American families on behalf of the church and, and Don was volunteering and um, without mentioning names of children. I mean, there's some of the things that, that happened that I, I observed how she's interacting with children. Whoa, this is, it, I know this had to have been in uh, 2008 um, when this child said to Donna, Obama won. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, it, and it was way before the election. Well, those were the first words. That, oh, I'm thinking of the sibling, the first words in English out of that child's mouth, Obama. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so Donna said, Donna didn't say Obama didn't win yet, did nothing like that. I think it was at the time of the Democratic Convention. She just said, where did you hear that? And the child put her hands on her hips and said, CNN. <laughs> and that's the kind of communication I saw back and forth with Donna a lot. We, we drove some children around and um, I remember a particularly poignant day when this four-year-old child from the back seat in the car seat says, Donna, I'm going to tell you the truth about something. And yeah. I thought, oh, here it comes. Yeah. <laughs> because yeah. Th this is a woman who you did not speak down to children. You spoke no. to them straight out. You gave them information, skills that they needed. And some of them then chose to trust you and to share about their lives. And it was yeah. really compelling to see. Yeah, there were some questions that would come out of that back seat of the car when I would say, where is Bob when I need him? <laughs> when one little girl said, I want to be God. And I'm like, oh, okay, then where do we go with this one? <laughs> that was quite a good conversation. I think I handled those questions pretty well, though, overall. Uh, yeah. When I was there to listen, I felt like I was learning from the master. <laughs> So oh, uh, <laughs> you were, you were, your, your career path might've come out of your pain, but it certainly was a blessing in your life and, and it was the life of others. Um, so in 1992, you're called, uh, Bob's call to be the minister at First Congregational Church at the senior minister, and you moved to Vermont. Um, you'd been, the two, this was second marriage for both of you. You'd been married for about a year. 
So tell us about that experience. You brought two boys with you. What was it like coming to Vermont? <laughs> it was wonderful. We both had independently with not knowing had always wanted to live in Vermont. And so it was, it was a joy, uh, joyful experience for us. Uh, I remember that first Sunday when he did his candidate sermon and I looked around the congregation, the church was very, very full. And I looked around all around up in the balcony and all over. And I said to myself, these are the people I'm going to grow old with. And lo and behold, that has come true. <laughs> <laughs> Almost. <laughs> almost almost old <laughs> yeah I, I i mean they've been the best years of my life they really have um i mean short of the time i've spent with children every place i've been uh they've been the best years of my life um good good times with with bob i mean i'm i miss him so much every day um it's a big hole in my heart with him gone, um, we were really soulmates and best friends. Mm -hmm. And we, we laughed and we talked together every day. And so I, I dearly, dearly miss that. But I'm glad I landed here when it mm -hmm. happened. Mm -hmm. uh, that year that I was in Wilmette, I felt like I was in exile. Mm -hmm. And that's often how he described his 12 years there. <laughs> it was just not the place for him. Why did it feel like exile to you? It was a very wealthy community. Mm -hmm. And uh, Bob always said it was very hard to do ministry there, um, though he was in a congregation that was very socially justice oriented mm -hmm. and the people were very generous. Um, in the long run, it was just really hard to do ministry with people who had held, held power Mm -hmm. in in the corporate world and in, in the economic world um, and and they were part of the one percent and the privileged and it was hard really hard to break through that and here so here I always call myself the little girl from Silver Creek I mean I came up and out of poverty and I I crossed class lines mm -hmm. but I wasn't willing to go that far <laughs> I did not want to go that far mm -hmm. and to, to go to the grocery store and shop with women who shopped with their maids, mm -hmm. their maids pushed the shopping carts and they wore fur coats while they shopped and, and um, had gardeners. And when I first went there, the very first time Bob invited me to come to Wilmette while I still lived on Long Island, I said to him, I'm not going to stay with you because that wouldn't be proper. I said, I'm going to stay in a and b or a hotel. And he said, there really aren't any of those here. And so I stayed in his guest room, but I really was uncomfortable about it. But um, when I got there and he drove me down this Lakeshore Drive, I said, look at all these hotels and B&Bs along here. I could have stayed in any one of these. He said, Donna, those are people's houses. <laughs> Just big mansions, you know. There's just no way I could have ever felt comfortable living there long term. And nor did he. So um, we came to the promised land. Yeah, I, I will say Bob never seemed to get over being in Vermont. He was yeah. always delighted. Yeah. 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 yeah, it's true. It's true. When we would invite our friends from Long Island or even from Wilmette to come to visit, he'd say, why don't you come and visit where God lives? <laughs> since, I mean, since we're there, you know, I think people, other people have experienced the loss of spouse and, um, and uh, you know, I think, and they know some of what you've experienced, others you know i think in reality we want to learn from each other about how how do you walk through a grief like that is that something you feel like you could talk about a little bit well it's not something you ever get over and people say you know you need closure there is no such thing as closure mm -hmm. um it's always with you 
it you you revisit it on and off all the time mm -hmm. um but to a certain degree you have to walk through it alone but but there's no way ever i could have gotten through it without having my faith mm -hmm. and my community of faith mm -hmm. um people of faith to surround me I just never could have made it. And I don't know how people do it without that. I just don't know how they do it. Mm -hmm. Truthfully, I just um, never ceases to amaze me that people, and I, I know that people then, people drink, people take drugs, people actually never, um, never go through the stages of grief. They just get stuck. Mm -hmm. uh, they don't get on with their lives. Um, because they don't know how to. Mm -hmm. um, I don't blame or judge them for that, but um, you, you really do have to have help with it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that, that's really helpful. I, I know on the there's so there's so much challenge to that, and it's it's so important. And the what you've said, I think, is is really food for thought for people to think about. Like, how, we're all going to have losses in our lives. How do we? prepare ourselves and to, to nurture ourselves. Are you, I've lost your picture, Donna. I just want to make sure. Yeah, I, I just need to plug in my, my charger. <laughs> these, are hard, these are hard questions, Donna. You need to plug in your charger. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I should be okay. Oh, there right. we go. For you. <laughs> but on the lighter side, which was where I was going next, um, I remember a certain point in your in in the grief of, of Bob, which you know so, so many of us here shared with you differently, of course, but shared with you. Uh, some some person had made a comment about um, how the painful experiences like this can help you grow, and your um, your New York came out. <laughs> <laughs> and you started talking about growing from joy. So I just want to invite you a little yeah. bit into that conversation. Yeah, uh, you know, at the, the church in, in uh, Greensboro, the minister at the time was um, leading a book study on growing from pain and suffering and grief. And the first comment I offered was, why doesn't somebody write a friggin' book on growing from joy? I'm so tired of talking about grief and how we all grow stronger from grief and suffering when is somebody going to write a book on growing from joy because when bob came into my life i don't want to say i was stagnant because i certainly had grown a lot through the the grief and the suffering of my divorce god knows i grew a lot but the joy of having bob in my life and bringing his children into my life and the travel that we did because of his children all around the world and taking me to the experience of india which by the way i was terrified to do i put on the biggest fake face for the congregation for that first trip to india i want to tell you that was all fake <laughs> yes i'm so excited i'm going to india yes i i mean i really can't wait yes yeah, that was just fake i was terrified <laughs> I was terrified of flying over the ocean. I was sure the plane was going to go down and we were going to go into the water and I'm, I'm terrified of dying in the water. Uh, it was that simple. And I was claustrophobic of being on the plane that long. Mm -hmm. I mean, every kind of fear you could imagine, I went through. I remember Nancy um, Osborne came up to me and she gave me a little cross to wear. She said, you're faking this, right? She said, you're really scared. I said, I am terrified. <laughs> she said, take this little cross. I'll be praying for you. <laughs> well, of course, my brother had just died. You know, my brother and sister-in-law had just died a week before we left. And I was really in serious grief. And then there's that whole story of breaking out with hives while I was over there. You know, that's that's a long story. But anyway, um, it, it, it was hives, Donna. It, it, it wasn't the best trip in the world, but I went back four times after that. And, you know, I mean, the whole world was opened up to me. And then it got so like, go to Japan. Well, that's no big deal. That's only 12 hours on a plane. I can, 
I can do that. I did 28 hours to India, you know? So yeah, I really grew and grew and grew and grew. Um, and Bob was like a rock, you know, he was just like a rock because none of this phased him. Mm -hmm. And um, so he was my model for all of that. Mm -hmm. And God, I, if I had missed all of that, how awful that would have been, you know? Um, I mean, I'm a totally different person now. Mm -hmm. So I would admit the first trip to India was suffering. <laughs> so I grew from suffering on the first trip. But after that, it was pretty much all joy, you know? Daniel's wedding in Africa, what a joyful experience that was, aside from the fact that Bob wasn't there. Mm -hmm. You know, it's the best wedding I've ever been to in my life. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, you don't have to suffer to grow. I, I love the idea of, of growing through joy. And I think that your examples are really wonderful ones of how that can happen. Um, and I, it also brings some of Bob's character back to, to mind. One of the things he loved to do was to watch other people in new situations that were challenging but familiar to him. So I'm sure traveling with you, <laughs> you, was, you have to him. He'd know what's coming around the corner and he's not going to tell you because he's just going to say, whoa, how'd you do with that? <laughs> when, when he and I, with uh, several other adults, great adults took uh, I think we took 14 kids to Guatemala in 2010. And uh, there was a part of the trip he had planned um, that involved all of our kids getting in the back of one of those trucks where you stand up <laughs> and hold on, no seat belts, no check out the brakes of the truck or anything like that. On up and down seat hills, he didn't tell me a thing about it. And let me tell you, I have pictures of all of the kids and Bob looking so delighted that I was totally uninformed about this enormous safety <laughs> risk. He was just like, gotcha. <laughs> well, we had one occasion on that trip back from that first trip to India where the flight was delayed like three or four hours because they were having mechanical problems with the plane and the pilot and the electrical engineer were fighting about whether it was safe to fly the plane. And we were sitting in the airport, you know, hearing all of this going on and I'm like, terrified you know and um and then um a new flight crew arrived and bob looked at them and they were so young mm -hmm. so young bob says oh now i know why we were delayed they had to wait until school got out before <laughs> we could <fly>. <laughs> <laughs> that's the way he relieved stress for me <laughs> that's so great so we were just always laughing, just always laughing. Yeah. Donna, a big part of your life has been being a grandparent and a yeah. godparent. Um, and, Another know, way to grow from joy, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, bring, well, and you have all those great skills with kids. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about what that's been like for you? Well, it would be wonderful if they lived nearby. Um, <laughs> it's just they're not around. Mm -hmm. um, I, I love them dearly and we FaceTime as much as we can, but it's really, it's hard that they're not here. Mm -hmm. um, but I also have the godchildren, which indirectly you brought into my life because I met them at the preschool. Mm -hmm. I met Bernadette at the preschool, so I've known her since she was three years old mm -hmm. and um, became very involved with the family through um, working with, with Malinga. And that's how they all came into my life. And so they're surrogate grandchildren. Mm -hmm. And um, they've, they've really uh, helped me through not having grandchildren nearby. Mm -hmm. um, seeing grandchildren only once every two years is just hardly a, you know, a substitute for having them around. Mm -hmm. But, but they're, um, they're still part of my life and, and they do bring me joy even at a distance. Mm -hmm. And I never would have had that if I hadn't had Bob and have his sons come into my life. Um, you know, I, I don't have children of my own. And so I never, I never would have had anything close to what I have now. 
So I've had the privilege of seeing you interacting with your godchildren, and it is a treat and a half because Donna, you just are, you just, you speak your mind in so many settings so well, and with kids, it's just so much fun because they really respond to you because you're you're right out there with them. You're you're right, you know, fresh and honest and and wonderful with them. Um, you have continued to study theology. Um, why the quest? What, what is, what's that about? Well, because, you know, in that fundamentalist experience, um, the spiritual development was stagnant. It was the same message every week. Mm -hmm. You know, you're a sinner and, and, uh, you, you know, altar call, you know, it was the same thing every week. And just like, okay, so what happens after you're saved? I mean, does anything happen after that? I, you know, mm -hmm. just was stagnant. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to be a stagnant Christian. I want to be a mature Christian. I want to be a deeper Christian. I, I want to, I just want to know more. And a sermon on Sunday is great, but that's not enough for me. I want to know more. Mm -hmm. Uh, I want my mind to be active. I want my heart to be active. I, I want my soul to be open. Um, I mean, I, I think it's important to do good works, but I don't think that's enough either. Mm -hmm. And I have learned ugh, enormous amount in this theology study group, reading the books that we've read. And, and um, it has really opened my eyes and my heart to new ways of thinking and new ways of believing. I'm reading a book right now. I think I was telling you about it, Lucy. It's called A Gentler God. It's by Doug Frank. It was written in 2010, a little bit before um, the Trump era. Um, but it's um, it basically the bottom line is um, there is the judgmental, um, scary, um, angry God, and there is the loving, compassionate, forgiving uh, God who offers you unconditional love. And you get to choose mm -hmm. which God you're going to worship. Mm -hmm. And then backs it up with all kinds of stories and parables and, and thoughts and ways to look at scripture. And I'm finding it so enlightening. Um, I, I I would wish that maybe Hannah would lead a book study on um, for former fundamentalist Christians to come together and look at this together. Um, I'm reading it primarily to offer it up to my brother. I don't know whether he'll be able to handle it or not because um, he's still caught up in this fundamentalist stuff and is constantly... Um, I will say the word challenging me with it, but it's really badgering. <laughs> but but uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm just always um, searching and, and I don't think it comes out of any kind of um, insecurity that I'm not going down the right path. It's just more confirming all the time of yes, I am. Yes, I am going down the right path. There, um, in your story, there's the person of the professor back at Houghton College. Is that, was that, do I have the name of the college, right? Yes, you do. Um, you outed me. You outed me. <laughs> who, who offered you that class on who Jesus was. Yes. I just, I'm feeling really both grateful for that person and wishing that somehow they could hear you speak today about what that class meant to you in your life because it's certainly you didn't change the house you were in you opened the doors and windows and you know all kinds of new ideas new perspectives um, a more loving presence of god walked in and you continued to evolve and, and grow with that um, that's a great image i love that i am uh I'm grateful for so many ways that you have um, been in my life and also in the life of the church. And um, so I, I want to just thank you for, for doing this today, Donna, and to open, encourage people to um, 
who might have a comment or a question to unmute yourself and ask a question or have something to say. Michael's got something to say. We'll start with Michael then. Yeah, Donna, thank you for sharing. So much of what you said resonated with me as a uh, someone who was raised in a fundamentalist tradition. And, uh, you know, as I reflect back on it, um, offering a successful evacuation plan from this life to paradise uh, <laughs> was what you heard every week. And, you know, my own search and reading and focus and um, on learning more and more and more has to do with exactly what you said. You just really want to continue to refresh yourself and to go aspire toward loving God, not fear not only a god right. to fear right so there's right. a fear base and a love base and so right. many choices in life and it has it, it also includes the choice of the god you're going to worship right thank you mike does anyone else have a question or a comment hi ann welcome yeah, I'd like to uh, make a comment. Uh, I, I'm very much aware of how much um, Donna's uh, involvement with Malinga and Cleophas's family um, has meant to them. And I got to know Donna better when I was actually working with Malinga. And that's when I got involved with her family also. When she was um, preparing to become a licensed uh, care provider. So over the years, I know that Donna has made all the difference in the world in that family. And I know Lucy, you have also had um, a lot and brought many gifts to that whole situation. Well, it's a joy to know them. They're, they're an incredible, in, incredible individuals. Very and a wonderful they, family. Right, they, I really, uh, my life changed because of them. Mm -hmm. I, Donna, Maggie wants to talk. She's coming up. <laughs> and Donna, if you're looking for a new vocation, I can hook you up with a comedy club. <laughs> <laughs> that was good. I love to, I love to laugh. I don't, I don't <laughs> know if I to laugh, but I love to laugh. And, and Donna, I have a comment that I... You know, since you and Bob have, it's been such a long time when I think back about when you and Bob were here and the joy that he brought to a lot of us here and, and to see how you have grown from the loss of him has just been so astounding to me. I just don't know how you did it. Um, you two were so inseparable, and I, I just, I just love to, to listen to you talk, and you just are, are funny, and you're a great person to be around, and I'm so glad that you're here. Thank you, Janice. Thank you. Um, Janice Clemens? Oh, maybe... Nice. Did you have some? There you go, Janice. I was I was saying amen to what Janice Claypool just said. Yeah. Um, yes. Uh, you know, so many many stories of um, times together at church and times together in your gardens, in uh, both of your homes, and. Um, things I have in my garden that came from yours, some little baby irises <laughs> and uh, some Shasta daisies come to mind. And um, I'm still looking forward to getting a chance to get out in the country and come visit you before the snow flies. <laughs> That'd be great. 
Well, I just thank everybody for gathering this afternoon. Carleen, did you have something? Uh, just on one last chance, any other questions or comments? Um, I just want to thank everybody for gathering and thank you, Donna. Just really um, inspiring. So, lots of applause for you. Um, thank you for thank you for participating. I want everybody to know that um, Spear Seekers has is has a chance to interview to feature Janice Clements next Friday, August 14th. So we're looking forward to that, Janice. And then uh, Spirit Seekers is taking a two-week hiatus after that, and we'll come back in September. And um, it's just been so much fun to, I just I found this to be a really joyful experience, and I'm really glad to see everybody uh, participating and uh, gathering around wonderful life stories. Um, like Donna's, there's so much for us to learn from each other. The, um, if you go to the church website and just go to the First Church This Week page, scroll down to the bottom, you can find the link to our um, podcast, First Church Phonic, and now all but Donna's uh, interviews are all posted there for you to listen to, and I, and I hope that you will. We started with Mary Oliver, and I'm going to, uh, I'm going to close with Mary Oliver. And, um, this Say is hello. Say hello to Dan for me, Donna. When you oh, I will. <laughs> um, this is uh, Mary Oliver's um, More Beautiful Than the Honey Locust Tree Are the Words of the Lord. In the household of God, I have stumbled in recitation, and in my mind I have wandered. I have interrupted worship with discussion. Once I extinguished the gospel candle after all the others, but never held a cup to my mouth lagging in gratitude. The Lord forgives many things, so I have heard. The deer came into the field. I saw her peaceful face and heard the shuffle of her breath. She was sweetened by merriment and not afraid, but bold to say whose field she was crossing, spoke with the tap of her foot. It is God's and mine but only that she was born into the poem that God made and called the world. Donna, we're grateful to have you in our world. Thank you all for joining today in Spirit. Thank you, Lucy. You make it easy to talk. <laughs> God bless everyone. Thank you.